Christopher Curtis, Marjorie Duffield, and Helen Park. They're the songwriters from Netflix and Pearl Studios' animated film, Over the Moon, which is up for consideration this year in both the animated and musical categories. They're here with us today on Crew Call. Christopher, Marjorie, and Helen, tell me about getting involved with Over the Moon, how each of your paths made your way over to Pearl Studios uh, and working with Glenn. Chris and I had been writing together uh, a piece before this, and um, we also knew Palin from sort of the musical theater scene in New York City. Who's the producer? And, um, what's that? Who produced the movie, yeah. Yeah, one of the producers of the film. And um, Chris and I had been invited as a team to a, a writing program that Pearl was doing in Shanghai, and uh, which was a wonderful um, adventure. And uh, they gave us, when we were there, they taught us about animation and all sorts of things. And then they kind of showed us their pitch deck of projects. And um, there was sort of a challenge to, um, you know, identify ones that might sing. So there was an image that we both saw, one of the, uh, for this particular project of a little girl looking up at the moon with a certain type of longing. And uh, in our kind of story, you know, Chris reached for my arm as I reached for his arm. And we just both were in love with that moment. And we didn't know, we only knew a little bit about what the story was. Um, but we both fell in love with the project sort of at that moment. And then we were given the opportunity to read the script, which I think is something that all of us can speak to. It was mm -hmm. a stunning, um, the, the first draft was much longer than what you see in the film and, you know, necessary cuts were made, but it was really just a, uh, Audrey's writing, it was more like reading a novel. Um, it just was, had this great intensity and clarity. And we fell in love with it and we started sort of exploring um, the sound of the film and songs in that kind of, um, uh, in that writing uh, sort of workshop retreat and, um, and exploring the project. Yeah. I think the script, and Helen can speak to this too, I think the script just touched all of us. You know, the first time you read it, you just like would be moved to tears, you know, um, and and then it wasn't until later that um, we found out that Audrey, you know, was sick and we knew that this was a very personal project for her. Um, and that even made it more powerful. And um, throughout the whole songwriting process, it was her voice that guided us. And um, the songs kind of came right out of the script, the inspirational moments. Um, but it began with that script. And, you know, Helen, you had the same reaction that we did when you first read it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I had a slightly different, you know, beginning of this whole journey um, than Chris and Margie's. Uh, I had this uh, off-Broadway show called K-Pop and um, the producer, uh, the Pearl Studio, people at Pearl Studio went and saw K-Pop and they really liked what they heard, kind of the unique pop um, type music um, and then they you know kind of found out about more of like my other more like traditional type sounds as well so they thought oh what if what if they kind of got me and Chris and Margie to work together um, I don't know if that like thought occurred to them in the beginning the very beginning but then 
um, well, first of all, they sent me the script and like, like these other two, I, I really responded um, strongly to it. I, you know, I was totally a wreck at the very end of the script that Audrey Wells wrote and I wanted to be involved. Um, you know, it was also just like one of the first things I've ever seen that were very much Asian centric, but very relatable and non-stereotypical. And I was like, I need to be a part of this. And so they invited me to meet Glenn, um, Glenn Keane, the director. And uh, yeah, Glenn, I guess really liked the idea that maybe Helen and Chris and Margie can all write together and um, create the soundtrack for this uh, this musical. So yeah, we, we met, <laughs> Chris and Margie and I met and- At Palin's. Um, yeah, at Palin's house. And we sat in front of the piano and uh, it was um, it was such a Love incredible journey. Yeah, <laughs> we actually we, we actually we all got high first, and then we sat at the piano and had cookies and stuff like that. No, it was actually just um, we really just connected. You know, we really just connected musically, and it was um, I think again it was the, like the love of Audrey's vision and her voice that kind of binded us all together, and. Um, and then we just jumped off from there, you know? So that's kind of how it <clears throat> all started up. Yeah. yeah, the interesting thing was like, we all had kind of the same <clears throat> impulse. Like we had the same idea of like where the songs would go and what the songs would be about. <clears throat> I mean, I think it's thanks to Audrey's script, like Chris said, but yeah. yeah, we were on the same page about that in the beginning, which was great. Yeah, it, a lot of times when you work with other people, they're like, oh, but no, I think it's here, or this character, and That's true. you know, and you're struggling. You're like, no, obviously it's right here. This is the moment. This is what they have to sing about. And um, there was a seamlessness around dramatic moments and understanding of a character's need to sing, a common idea about what it, what it was about and why. And I think that kind of pressure point, um, somehow as dramatists, all of us have a very similar instinct. You were mentioning that it was a very personal script for Audrey. Can you tell us more about that? Well, I mean, it's, you know, it has been um, discussed, you know, I, we, we, Audrey was terminally ill when she wrote the script. We did yeah. not know that. <laughs> and uh, she knew that. And she, um, and she has this lovely, lovely husband and a teenage daughter and, Later in the process, we came to find out how ill she was. I mean, she she was, um, and and it became very clear that she had written it as a love letter uh, to her husband and her daughter, um, with with a focus about moving on, loving someone new, um, and experiencing the loss, but not not keeping it from, not letting it um, hold you back from living the life uh, that you wanted to to lead. I mean, she, she was a, an amazing person at, in that her last wish and, you know, it, it, there was never any bitterness. There was never any regret that, that there was, she was always forward, moving forward. I mean, talking about new projects with us even about, oh, what if this were a musical? Like she, um, she always was forward looking and, um, and we, as we 
loved the script and we knew the characters um and 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 in looking back we could we could see what was happening but then when we discovered that she was um you know probably wouldn't even be able to see the opening of this film the completion of this film um it became very clear all the layers of of things that we had already been responding to because they were mm -hmm. such a beautiful it was such a beautiful story and she did see the first screening which was very special to all of us because all the songs were written um before she passed away and she did see the very first screening of this so that was a great moment that we were so grateful that she she was there for that so and and you had also brought her in to the songwriting process like you she got to hear a lot of what you were doing right at, yeah. at a certain point totally we would play even drafts for her and get her you know thoughts about it and her feedback and she had she had great intuition about the songs and um I mean, I think because they were inspired by her script, there was a synchronicity too, but um, those meetings were great. There was this wonderful meeting we had in Santa Monica at her house where we played her like four or five songs, right, Helen, I think. And it was just, it was really, I think that, that afternoon was the highlight for all of us. You know, that was that whole afternoon with Audrey and she was so happy because we kind of played her the bulk of the songs that afternoon and um, and just got to speak with her and just spend some such a wonderful time with her. And um, yeah, it was just, we were singing at the piano for her and she just was um, so happy. So that's a, that's, a, that's a memory for all of us to cherish. Wow. Yeah. Now, when it, when it came to Rocket to the Moon, tell me about crafting that song. Were you guys looking for an anthem and, and, and the importance of the song? Again, it's the third song in the movie, correct me if I'm wrong, uh -huh. but it blasts everything off. That no. was kind of, yeah, Glenn, Glenn, I don't know if it was, I mean, he wanted to have this song about, you know, taking off that when Fei takes off to the moon that the audience takes off with her and the emotion propels it. So, and I've always said that the chorus of that song came out of, it starts with like Fei Fei singing, I look up in the heavens in this grief filled pain. And the part that goes to fly away, the chorus, is this voice of intuition breaking through that grief and calling her to, a, to this different place. And that was kind of like how it started. And, um, you know, we all worked on this song and all of our hearts are in this song. And I think, you know, maybe that's, it's kind of the anthem of the movie, but I think it's also the anthem of, of all three of us um, because it was the most you know, emotional song for us. Um, and then we went, to, we went to California and lived in house for like two weeks and finished like five songs. So, you know. Yeah, great. for Rocket to the Moon, um, in, uh, we spent a week at um, Studio City and we, were gathered around the piano with Glenn sometimes, and we were working on this song. And what was amazing was that we were all sort of, sort of like imagining what Fei Fei is going through emotionally and following that. Because I mean, I think Glenn was the most interested in that in that journey and how how we could you know have everyone feel that journey like in real time with her. So it was experimenting with, you know, not just the melody, but also like how those 
phrases were sung and like expressed to best, you know, to best bring people into that character. Um, and so it was really great to like to have Glenn in the room and experiment with him. Yeah, she's well, Sometimes I mean, people talk about, you know, the I want song and I'm, I'm really anti-formula, it drives me nuts. But what I love about Fly Away is I am, I will, I want, I hope, I, you know, to me it was, you know, lyrically and musically, we were really trying to hack it. This, this is not a simple sentiment that this girl has. It's a complex sentiment. As, and this is a complex character. Um, and, and, you know, children are deep thinkers and deep wanters. And this, this child has suffered a great loss. And so I think there were so many things that we wanted the song to be. Um, but we mostly wanted it to be true to Feifei and, and as Helen just said, in real time so that she's discovering as we're discovering as she's figuring it out as we're figuring it out so that it has a real time experience. Yeah, and it's also musically, it's like an engine revving up. You know what I mean? Because that last da it's like builds it up. And then when she sings, fly away the rocket, and we wanted the audience musically and lyrically to take off at the same time. So it kind of, um... and Glenn was great, man. We were really lucky to just be in the room with him because like, you know, just you sit at the piano and he'd say, what about this, that? And we would like all mess around with stuff. And he was just, um, he was a great inspiration. And to have him be part of the songwriting process is great because a lot of times, sometimes you write something completely and then you go play it for the director. He was actually part of the process, which was kind of awesome on, especially on Rocket. That was, that was really kind of like given his thoughts and then, you know, we would write something and, you know, come back and play it. And, um, but he was definitely in the room talking about ideas that, that whole time we were there, which was very special. Take us into your process. How, how did it work when you were in that, that Airbnb? Did you lay down lyrics first, all of you? Did you sit around and lay down lyrics? Or Chris, were you on the piano leading things away and Margie and Helen were, were there? Like, how, how did it work between all three of you? Or did you well, take I, turns at the piano and, you know, and just improvising and writing? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I would be at the piano, Helen would be at the piano too. And, um, a lot of times melody would come first and then we'd start to fill in lyrics. Um, it was kind of the first step was getting the structure of the song because it's like it's it's a an interesting structure this song the different sections and then once that was mapped out then it was about you know filling in the pieces and yeah we would like sit at the piano and play with stuff um, and then really start to kind of get the arc of lyrics and also another person who was very helpful for all three of us was Palin Chow. She was really great at like, no, I love that, I love that, you know, think about going in this direction and then we would go write a verse, you know. Um, so that was, uh, yeah, that was kind of like a, a very integral part of the whole process. Yeah, and even though Chris and I both play piano, most of the time um, it was Chris Sitting, I mean, we were both sitting on the piano, but Chris would play and I would sing um, melody and we would just kind of experiment together like that. <laughs> um, yeah, that, that was yeah. my memory from Studio City. Yeah. And I don't play the piano, but I feel I like, um, you know, we all, you know, so much of it is what is, 
the, what is the feel? What is the story? What is the, um, so we have a lot of ideas of, in an abstract form too about like, but it should go like, you know, like it should have a, you know, so I had, when we mixed the album, I re didn't realize this was what it was, but I said to uh, David Boucher who mixed the album, I said, oh, but then she gets there and it's her, oh, the hills are alive moment, you know? And so, um, you know, we had a lot of also conversations um, just about what is the feel and what is the expression and maybe literally what is it in notes, but what should it be? How should it be? How should the story happen? Yeah, and a lot of times I would think like just ideas of orchestral stuff, like, you know, thinking that just put those things, the piano arrangement that a great orchestrator like Larry Hockman would take and reinvent, you know what I mean? So it's always like thinking about even like all the little embellishments too. Um, and in the end, by the way, Larry Hockman's orchestration was really made this, you know, take off also because he, he really did such a masterful job with it, you know. Ultra Luminary is a great, I mean, that whole sequence makes me feel like I'm at a concert. I would have to say a Lady Gaga concert, I think. Sweet. Yeah, or a Madonna concert. And um, tell me about that. And did you inspire the animation in that sequence or did the animation inspire you? I mean, it, it, it's what an awesome, what an awesome spiritual, uh, uh, it, it just experience. Can I just talk about the script, Helen, really quick? Just because, I mean, Audrey had written this incredible world where there were screens and there were notice boards and there was, it was a little bit like uh, Shanghai along the river where the lights are going like it's just Shanghai at night. I guess on Friday nights, they light up the one side of the river. And Audrey had really described this whole thing and then she also kept saying to us about the character that she, that Chunga is like a, a weather change, a weather change. And then there was this whole question like, is it a concert song? And then Glenn might go, I'm not sure it's a concert song. Is it a, this kind of song? Well, I'm not sure. Uh, we went round and around. And so then I'll pass it to you guys. Cause, uh, cause well, then first he thought it was Queen. He was using We Will Rock You. We Will Rock You was the idea, remember that? Is <laughs> that we should make it We Will Rock You and then and Bohemian Rhapsody. Um, yeah, so right. a lot of the references Glenn were making yeah. were like from like <laughs> 70s or 80s. <laughs> um, and then, um, so we tried that, we, we attempted like that, that version, but then it's kind of felt a little bit, a little bit like not current enough. <laughs> um, so, and it wasn't like as exciting as Glenn had, had envisioned. And I mean, also, but Glenn was kind of trying to figure out his vision as a concert song. Like he was not sure like musically what that would be. And then he cited an example and that clicked, that clicked with me instantly. He said, LMFAO's party, what is it called? Party, I think it was like party, uh, I, I forget what the title exactly is, but LMFAO song okay. and Katy Perry's, like Katy Perry's E.T. Um, and I was like, okay, I think, I think I know what you mean. You want a party song, you want a dance song. And he said this, he said, it needs to be a song that demands people to dance. And mm -hmm. I was just like, 
why did it not say why did it not say this before <laughs> before that earlier draft <laughs> no um but he was like okay yeah this has to be a dance song it has to be something that you know makes people like can't help but dance so we were like okay we got this <laughs> so, she was so um, happy when he finally said dance <laughs> yeah, she was yeah. so happy you know so. yeah i remember playing this song for the first time at audrey's house and her cats were like jumping up because it was like all of a sudden like a party song on the speakers um but yeah that was kind of the start of it and then yeah um, and then lyrically trying to figure out like how is this character you know it's hard to know what kind of song she would sing and we tried different angles and we knew we wanted lunaria different and this glenn had talked about um there's conversation about comparisons and things and then it it really became, it's not really a list song, but it, it has a bit of a litany about, I mean, she's kind of, she is proud of her standing, let's just say, as the queen of Lunaria. And so it was kind of how to make her accessible, but also fierce and brave and bold. And um, so lyrically, it just became this kind of game of lyrics that had to do with, you know, space and stars and and a degree of braggadocio but also um you know that that kind of quieter uh bridge which was a bit of a genesis about how they got there and um on the moon and before so this version of the song was there before the animation and then once they were storyboarding and they were kind of getting you know the animation into shape our one of our animators in q lee had this kind of idea that she should sing this like aria type or like you know that in incantation kind of thing in the beginning and he was because he was so inspired by you know like beyonce concerts and whatnot so yeah he called up one day and he was like I mean, with Glenn, and he kind of, you know, pitched that idea, and that's how we have that beginning part of Ultra Luminary. So that's and then Kyle as the choreographer. I mean, what's also so great is Philippa Sue now gets to wear a guope outfit and dance. Like, you know, there's no on the stage. You always have to worry about actors being able to sing and dance at the same time, and how much can you give them? And here she can do anything. And it was such a blessing to have her vocal range. I mean, because she can sing anything. Philippa. Well, yeah. speaking of vocal range, I didn't know Ken, I mean, I know Ken Jong is the host of Masked Singer. Singer. I didn't know he could dance. Uh, uh, the, uh, excuse me, I didn't know he could sing. <laughs> um, uh, tell me about writing Wonderful for him, this, this kind of Jason Mraz-like song. I mean, I was just blown away that I was like, I didn't know that Ken could sing. Um, I bet he could dance too, so. <laughs> yeah, I think he can. I've actually seen him dance on stage. He, he does have some moves. There was an act he used to do. Uh, there, was a, there was a comedy act he used to do that I saw. Uh, but, uh, but tell me about that. That's like, how did you know Ken could sing? There was a video, and, right, Helen? What, Helen, what was yeah, that? Yeah, I found this like Korean mask singer video where he was singing Creep. Uh -huh. <laughs> And he was incredible and we were all blown away and Glenn looked at it and he was like 
Yeah, we need to. <laughs> well, Chris does a good impression of him. <laughs> but he was like, yes, hmm, we need that effect in this song. We need to surprise people with his vocal chops. <laughs> um, and so, I mean, we get that in the very, towards the end of that song. I mean, it's a beautiful song. Wonderful. Oh. Yeah. Very heartfelt. He was, um, we, he's the only person we knew who we were actually writing for, although knowing that Philippa was gonna be singing the ping pong rap, that changed a few things. But um, yeah, and that, I always think of that song as it ended up having to be a, it was sort of a, it ended up having to be a, a threshold. I think of it as a, a threshold song and that Fei Fei, in the moment of the song, she has to pass through this threshold to continue on the journey. And it had to be a lot of different things. Um, so that was the last song we wrote, I believe. Well, we had to rewrite something else, but um, but it was uh, it was it was hard to kind of make it all the things that it needed to be, and then let it be simple uh, in its complexity. Like, how did you find the sound? Because it it, it you, you know most of the songs stay in like either a Broadway or a uh, a pop music sensibility. And then this, this is very folksy. This is, this is yeah. very Jason Mraz. It's, 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 a, yes. it's <laughs> yeah, tell that, me, tell that me Jason about Jason Mraz that. was definitely one of the inspirations. Um, we were thinking mainly about what the character of Gobi is like. And he is someone who's, you know, funny and charming, but he's also humble and he's mm. very selfless. He's, he always cares about other people. And so, you know, when I think about like a humble instrument or sound, you know, ukulele comes to my mind and, you know, and, and to just kind of, um, to kind of have like the most simple, you know, sound where we could really, you know, highlight the lyrics, the wonderful lyrics that Margie um, had created. Um, I thought that's necessary for, for the song to really bring out what he's saying and, um, the emotions behind the lyrics. Um, and there's an innocence to it too. Yeah, so I, 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 the, I think one of the most humble instru instrument sounds are, is the ukulele sound. So that's kind of how it, it came about. I had a question about the beginning. And, and this basically has to do with mu musicals. So you start off immediately with the song on on the move above, on the moon above. That's not, you know, when it comes to animated musicals, that's happened many times before where boom, you go straight into a song. But soon after that, we have mooncakes. Hmm. Is there ever any kind of, everything works, everything flows, but is there ever any kind of discussion of having two songs close together or whether they need to be spaced apart? Or is it just where it feels that it's right? where it's organically right as you're watching it or as you're going through the story. I was wondering if you could discuss that. Basically, the question is about the placement of song. I think that song, honestly, that's a song that was directly inspired reading by Audrey's, like the stuff out of her script. So that song's we were writing for that moment. Um, I don't, I don't, I think as this script was developed, I mean, Margie, am I right about this? Were they that close in the first draft, those two songs? I don't think they were. I don't think so. There's absolutely yeah. that conversation and in musical theater, we do it all the time, but yeah. I'm pretty sure when we initially wrote those two pieces, there was 
more that happened between them. And yeah, it's an interesting the question. Cutting of the film kind of condensed the action between the two. It works. Just wondering if musical theater purists, or even in film, they get so locked up on, you know, like there's always a constant discussion with score of, is there too much score? Is there, do we need to, to leave this tender moment alone and leave the silence? And I'm just, I got to imagine that conversation also exists with musicals as well. It, yeah. it does, but we aren't the editors. And you know, they're the editor who's so marvelous is considering all these other things. There's also a tenderness in that song. I mean, the, you know, obviously this, but the stuff is really fun. But then, and there's magic in these moon caves. And you know, there's this tender. So that tenderness is continued in the song. You know what I mean? So I think how we feel musically um, and lyrically, it's an extension of that moment at the end of um, On the Mood Above. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's definitely at the, at the end of the day, a, a collaboration between like so many people. And so it's not just up to us where exactly is in their place. And yeah, so it's a lot of it is like trusting that everyone will do the best, you know, to make it the best that the film needs. Um, but yeah, we always had opinions and thoughts about what where the songs should be or what should happen between the songs or like you know the pauses the silence and whatnot but yeah i think there was another i <laughs> think there was all of them were incorporated i think there was more scene between those two in the beginning yeah there was more and uh, there was more dialogue and and also on some level what i like about mooncakes is it at moments even though they're singing it's almost like speaking you know, it's kind of this uh, extended musical sequence that compresses time and moves time forward. But there was a lot of the script that, you know, had to be let go in order to um, realize the piece visually. And so, um, yes. How long, how long did, did it take to write all the songs? One week. No, oh my God, no, really? <laughs> no, honestly, <laughs> we had met in January and we- January wrote... of 2018. Yes, and yeah, then yeah. we- yeah, and We've then... been cross, like, thinking about the script for months before that. And... Yeah, like, because over the, I mean, like, um, I look up in the heavens, the very first part of Rocket was written when we were in China, just the first, like, draft of it. And then we did another draft of that in January when we were all together and we did long ago an ancient story and we did that and there was a draft of very rough draft of Lots of Luminary and then we met with Glenn and got thoughts and feedback you know he was really happy and then we went to the house in California and wrote the bulk of everything else so I guess if you look January when was the house in California March Margie no it was, it was February, February. Yeah. Oh, so it was like the bulk of it was written like in three months but then there was like rewrites and then later on in the process towards the end, we ended up scrapping one song and doing another version and then Wonderful was written. But the bulk of those songs were written between January and March. Yeah, it was, it was fast. Yeah. And then if, tell me about, because the songs were locked and loaded, correct me if I'm wrong, before Stephen Price came aboard. That's correct. How was it working with Stephen? Are, are all of you on? the sound edit bridge, you know, basically fusing this all together? Well, there was a little thing called a pandemic 
So how we <laughs> might have worked normally was not how we worked this time. I mean, I I don't know how we might have worked with Stephen, and but um, ultimately, I think it was a, a miracle that the score was recorded at the one studio that was working with an orchestra in the yeah. in the world, from what I understand, which was uh, Synchron Stage in Vienna. Um, with Stephen at Abbey Road in London and us in our various homes and Glenn and his and the producers. So you guys can maybe speak to that, but I think our, our experience of it was very isolated, as connected as possible through the internet, you know, but um, I think if there hadn't been a pandemic, it might've been a little bit different. Yeah, we so were the gonna songs go to- were, The songs were already pretty much completed when, when Stephen got on board. And so it was, mostly the songs sort of exist at first and then he took some you know melodies and you know the, the kind of what con constitutes in our songs and they he kind of incorporated into the score um i think with with glenn um collaborating with glenn but there wasn't that much interaction between us and stephen it was just kind of handing off our songs to that next stage <laughs> I don't think we even, I think we heard like a draft of the score pretty right before the, the actual recording sessions, you know? So yeah, that was kind of really, Helen's right. We were done by the time Steven. Well, it's also because it's an animation and the, the you know, animators need the songs first to animate, you know, the True. mouth movements and things like that. So yeah, the songs had to come way before. Yeah. Can um can you share with us what each of you are, uh what you're working on currently or in the future? Oh well, I'm um I'm working on bringing my off-Broadway show K-pop to Broadway. So um and that means a lot of things because it used to be an immersive show where like it takes place in like three different sto stories um, of a building and then we're trying to make it into like a one proscenium you know theater type of show so um, that means it's like a lot of change and a lot of rewriting and writing new songs and so that's basically yeah that's a big thing I'm doing right now and I have awesome. other um, projects that are very early in development that um, that I can't really <laughs> talk about right now, but yeah, I'm just hustling. <laughs> um, Chris and I are working on uh, an adaptation. I, I can talk, can I talk about it, Chris? Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. An adaptation of uh, Jean Renoir's uh, French Can Can with an English producer, an English book writer. So we've uh, started working on that. Um, uh, I'll let him speak about his other projects. I have a few. I have a, a screenplay that's on the verge of being finished um, and uh, reworking a musical. Um, uh, and the uh, the team of Curtis Duffield and Park are, you know, ready for their next big project. Uh, anyway, Chris, go ahead. And, and what are you working on? Yeah, yeah, no, um, the English project is, is really cool. Um, we were supposed to open in Chaplin in London, like now. <laughs> So that's going to be, that's delayed because of the pandemic, um, you know, but that's something I still, because um, we would redevelop in some of far the London stage. And then I have another project, a musical called um, The Man Upon the Wall, which 
as a contemporary musical. Um, it's like I, when I played Helen one of the songs and I was out there, I was, is this contemporary enough? Because if Helen said, yeah, that's contemporary enough, I knew I was in the right path. So, <laughs> so that's, and it's like a per, very personal show. So that's another um, project that I'm working on. And um, yeah, it's been, um, it's been a fun journey. Yeah, it's a little hard to know just with the situation like that. Especially theater. It's like, yeah, it's, it's, it's like theater, it's like, well, when will it all land? You know, like when will Broadway open up? When will the West End open up? You know, so these projects that, you know, have been slated, it's kind of been like, well, the slate's been all pushed back. So, you know, and hopefully, you know, things we get over this and, you know, get to a, a, a better place for everyone. Thank you, Christopher Curtis, Marjorie Duffield, and Helen Park, the songwriters of Netflix and Pearl Studios Over the Moon. Thank you so much for joining us on Crew Call today. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Crew Call podcast on Deadline. I'm your host, Anthony D'Alessandro, and our podcast series has been produced by David Janov. Make sure you subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode.